the way you looked at it, no, I thought the levels were bad. No, the levels were like per- it was right in that yellow zone, right? Oh, because the face you made, you went. I was like, oh, he's yes. All right. <laughs> hey y'all welcome to porch talk my name is isaiah welcome back thank you so much alan for having me back man i'm gonna play a song that's coming out later this year called my j45 you ready guys But I can't dance, I can only play guitar I used to watch my daddy play that Gibson in a little tree But he strode out from drinking too dang hard And my J45 keeps the memories alive Sunday morning feelings My great own body new in 53 My grandpa in 61 Bought it for 65 dollars he made working on the road. This old guitar has really seen a fair share of battles, wins and losses, has scars to prove them all. My dear old family has been a share, share of shows. Somehow we still manage to fall apart. Here we go. In my J45, keep the memories alive. Sunday morning feelings. My great on body new in 53. My grandpa in 61, body for 65. Dollars he made working on the road Healing takes time Or so they say I'll heal in time Or so they say In my J45 keeps the memories alive Sunday morning feelings And my great on body new in 53 My grandpa in 61 Bought it for 65 Dollars he made working on the road And my J45 keeps the memories alive Sunday morning feelings And my great on body new in 53 and my grandpa in 61 bought it for 65 dollars he made working on the road Woo! that was awesome thank you thank you thank you very much <clears throat> let's see i'll put this thing down over here all right, let me hear you. Check, check. Here you. you can probably slide that mic a little closer <clears throat> to you if you like. Check. You hear my back popping? You think those levels would be fine <laughs> for that? For uh, the vocals and things? Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's uh, 
the, the first time, I was like, man, I just dialed it right in there. And then I guess I made some kind of a face. <laughs> man. Like, that's stank face. That's stank face. <laughs> well, like you went, like, I guess it was a stank face, like, which is a good compliment. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. I'm like, oh, man, I must play smacking the guitar around too loud. So. Nah. I well, love it. It's just, you know, my J45, I can't help but yeah. play it loud. Well, I got, uh, we got Braden with us this evening again. What's up, guys? And uh, I wanted to open up because we all do a little bit of producing. Talk a little bit about that. Maybe the ins and outs. Man, I'll give you what I know, if uh, I know anything. I want to start with this. Uh, we, we use that. Uh, Brenton brings his uh, direct box, which is it's a Fishman. It's pretty nice DI. And like what they recommend when it's in studio or live, make everything as dry as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then make small adjustments as you come in. You might, you know, wetness or whatever. Reverb maybe even, you know. But, uh, man, I'm like you, I think. I I like to be as dry as possible. So, yeah, me and Alan were talking a little bit um, the other day about recording and producing. And and I made the statement that when I record, whether it be vocals or acoustic, whatever, I'm going to record it as dry as possible to where it's almost painfully dry. That way, whenever I am in you know my DAW or whatever I'm using, I can add all my effects and I have a clean slate to work with. And I think you like to work like that too. Right? Yeah. It just everything's a little bit easier. And like if if like dry, wet. What are y'all talking about? Dry is like it's just basically like if if you were sitting in the room and someone was playing a guitar for you is basically what I'm saying. Right. Well, it's like it's almost like if your if your ear was right next to the guitar, what would you hear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no because like the thing about dry and wet, every room has a sound, and and whenever you take away those natural reverberations of a room, it sounds really weird and empty. Ergo, why whenever you are mixing and mastering and producing on a song, you add in different effects such as reverb or delay. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you can use them stylistically, but the initial goal is just to get it to sound normal, get it to sound natural. Yeah. But you record it dry so you can mess with nature a little bit, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You can make the like the room sound the way you want it to. So, for instance, if I'm in a room that is naturally very dry, which is a good thing to record in, Whenever I go back and listen to it, I made the statement earlier that it'd be kind of painful to listen to because it doesn't sound natural. Whereas if you go see a show in an arena, uh, which I'm going to plug the arena studios, (laughs) now that I mention it, uh, that's Braden's company, his studio. If you're in an arena, there's those natural reverberations. That way, whenever you go and you hear like your favorite guitar player hit that excellent note and just that vibrato and it rings throughout the whole room, that's what makes it sound good is all that reverb in the room and and so you can add that later in post and make it sound however you want to. We had this old church at the University of Mobile of they literally I don't I don't remember I think it came from Kentucky. Uh, but you know how I mean I see them do it with homes now. You'll see an eighteen wheeler with a, a literal house cut in half and there's yeah. two eighteen wheelers yeah, yeah, like yeah. they like they haul a double wide trailer. And uh they they hauled that church in to the University of Mobile. Uh, because the the room it was just a single room it had uh, a middle lane it had the pews going down both walls and you know had a little stage and a pulpit 
and everything was kept just the way it was, except for the location. That's pretty. That's but strange. all the all the musicians and University of Mobile is known for its music. Oh yeah. Uh, there has been a lot of recordings come out of that little church just because the the room's so perfect. It's the floor is wood, the walls are wood, <laughs> the ceiling's wood. I mean, it's just wood, you know. And uh, when you go in there, like if you or to go, ah, you know, there's a there's a natural there's a natural reverb, there's great echo, and you bring instruments in there. It's just incredible. Oh man, that's I, that is incredible. That like I've heard of people trying to recreate someone's studio. Like there's you know there's famous studios all throughout Nashville and L.A. and different places and London. Abbey Road is like the biggest known studio in the world. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd argue just because the Beatles. And people try to recreate those in other places, and they never quite get it right. But that's kind of genius that they're like, instead of recreating it, let's just bring it. Yeah, that's that's really yeah. crazy to me. Yeah, we we dropped the location off, but that's right. <laughs> things coming to us, but yeah, I mean exactly that. And just to bring it home, maybe maybe you don't have any idea, and you're listening, but like these guys are talking about producing, uh, but it, it is a way for you to kind of bring it home, especially like. Recently saw some uh, locals asking about guitar lessons or a place where they could get their son or daughter to record. Mm-hmm. And so, Braden, tell us a little bit about the arena and your thoughts on production. Uh, uh, my name is Braden Sansang. I own the Arena Studios, and we're just uh, a recording studio slash like uh, guitar teaching, uh, <clears throat> artist development. We kind of our logo is to take your music from the songbooks to the arenas. So that's kind of like what we base our our, our company on. And uh, and it's funny I talk about reverb because I have a total opposite approach. <laughs> I'm gonna sweep, uh, take the rug up, but uh, yeah. Um, so I, mean, like, I think that makes for good conversation. Yeah, yeah. Right, like that's what debates are for. I just happen to have a degree in it, so be ready. <laughs> uh oh, I'm scared. Uh, <laughs> I'm just with you. But uh, yeah, so like I kind of it depends on if I'm recording somebody else or if I am recording myself. If I'm recording myself with my own music, I actually put reverb on there, only because like. As I'm building a song, I kind of want to feel like I'm in that place to make it feel live, if that makes sense. I don't put too much reverb. Like, I put it on the master bus, but then I take it off when I'm mixing. Sometimes I add it. But Okay, so your natural recording is clean, but you just have it on, yeah, you have it on yeah, the yeah, bus. Yeah, but I have it on the okay, bus. So, yeah, so like, yeah, yeah. It's still clean. But I, when I'm recording, I like to have that feeling of uh, I'm in the place, I'm playing there, there's a crowd there. And that, that helps me write my music to where it kind of sounds live. So it's and like I'm, a security blanket for you? Yeah, it definitely is. Okay. <laughs> now, yeah, something most, funny about that, you ever listen to the podcast, The Working Songwriter? I have not. <clears throat> no, so have. the intro, when he's, you know, his 30-second intro to the podcast, little piano, light piano, and he's going through, all right, guys, let's talk about things that do not make a song and are not a song. And his number one pet peeve, he said, reverb is not a song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless you're Elevation or Hillsong. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, usually what I do, I just do that when I'm only when I'm recording yeah. myself. When I record other people like with the band, unless they want like some reverb on their vocals, um, just while they're you know recording, so it helps them you know sing better. Um, I usually just keep the reverb off if it's if I'm recording somebody else. But when I'm recording myself, I just like I like to have that feeling of I'm in the room. I have the vibe going, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I do it. But uh, I usually, like, turn it up while I'm recording, but then, like, turn it down when I mix it later on. So just I, in, like, your monitor mix, yeah, because yeah, Because, yeah, like, usually, okay. when I, usually when I record, like, I feel betrayed, got goodbye, all that, it's like I sit down and the idea comes to me and then I record it. And then uh, I want it to sound as live as possible because I like live music better than 
because you listen to Queen, most of their stuff is done live. Of course, they do overdubs. Right. But uh, they do most of their stuff live. They do billion takes until they get it right. That was probably my favorite part about that whole movie was them in the studio. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I enjoyed that thoroughly. Mm hmm. But yeah, I wanted to, like, that's that's why I do the reverb. I, like you said, a security blanket helps me kind of. Because, like, I wanted to be able to translate live, too, to where it's not just, like, it sounds totally different, which sometimes that's good when it sounds totally different from the studio to live. But. Yeah, and like between uh, your personal music and by the way, both of these guys are ready and available on Spotify or probably wherever you stream music. Mm-hmm. But from your music, your personal stuff to what you shared with me when it came to a band, like I man, I think you're great at like recording the bands because like when I was listening to that mix, it felt like I was right in the middle of the room with the band. I appreciate and, that. Like I, I've you've, I've worked with different studios in the past, and I've I've never like. I was like, man, you're doing a jam up job. I appreciate. So, that. like, did you? Are you talking about like his final mix, or did you record an actual band? I uh, record. It was like this, my own music, so it was like. Oh, uh, okay. When yeah. I was in my room, different parts. Yeah, it depends. Oh, sometimes good. I come here and record stuff. Some, most of the time, when I'm doing my writing and most of my recording with my music, it's at my house, at my studio, at my house. But then when I do like drums, or when I do want a real guitar amp instead of like a processor, I come here and record. You know that. Um, so it's just both. Um, I got you. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It was kind of it's it's kind of hard for me to capture like, and it's when I get frustrated and I just the project never gets done. If I'm multi instrument, like mm-hmm. start out with acoustic. Okay, I'm gonna pick my electric up. All right, let's play bass. All right, let's let's come up with some kind of cajon or some kind of simple drum beat. And by the time I get there, I'm tired of the project. Yeah. But like, I mean, with that one that you showed me, I mean, even though maybe every every part was recorded at a different time, you did a good job of making it feel like the whole band was there. And usually what I do is like, I have it, I record the song and there's like, oh, here's the verse. And I'm like, oh, I don't like that verse. So I re-record it like as I'm going out of it, as I'm going out of the chorus, I re-record the verse, if that makes sense. So I can, sometimes I even like record it over the whole song just so I can have to feel the song so I can match what the same vibe that I'm trying to come out of the chorus with. Um but yeah, the song that you listen to is coming out March tenth, by the way. <laughs> Funky rhythm. <laughs> it's gonna be right before I go to New York, so I'm excited to market it and in New York. And you saw the place. I'm trying to be <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what any good uh, musicians doing. They're going everywhere, oh, doing yeah. all the things. Yeah. That's uh you know, some of the better advice that has been given to me and this is coming from a musician who is really just beginning to hit his stride. And if you ever wonder like what it takes to make it, and I believe this to be true, is uh, musicians who are musicians for a living, they stay on the road. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're traveling. It's a lifestyle. They're, yeah, they're moving. Well, it's like one of my favorite bands. Um, I, I love how this my episodes on your podcast are just, what is Isaiah like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, Colony House. Mm-hmm. And I was watching an interview with Caleb Chapman, who's their lead singer, frontman. He's great, too. Oh, dude, phenomenal. I'm seeing him at the end of this month over in Birmingham. Awesome. But um, he was talking about how they had played over 300 and something shows that year. There was more shows that they had played than days in the year. And he's talking about how, like, his family didn't like it, but, you know, they just love playing out. Yeah. And that's what keeps them going and makes them, you know, tick is just staying up, burn up the road. And um, I don't know. I love being on the road. Yeah, man. I mean, there's nothing like it. You know, whether it's with music or with this podcast, my favorite things to do are like when I'm, you got an hour to four hours, you're moving, 
You, you don't know what that town's bringing, and you don't know what you're going to be bringing that night either, yeah. you know? I was talking to Mississippi Mason <coughs> the other day, and uh, we, we haven't played shows a lot since, you know, after the December 3rd show at the, the arena. We haven't really, I haven't really, because I play drums with it for him, so we haven't really played many shows. And he was like, <coughs> we called each other, I was like, dude, I'm depressed right now. We have not played any shows, and like, that's one of the only things that kind of helps me, like, um, you know, other than Jesus, <laughs> but <laughs> it's one of the only things. Like, I, I really feel like I really feel like that uh, when I'm on stage, that's kind of like what I'm supposed to do. That's oh, it, the only yeah. time I really feel, um, you know, complete. You know, when, when it comes to when it comes to my career in music, you know, because like I just feel like everything's going good when I'm on stage. You, yeah, know? you feel like you're doing what you was putting yeah, it through. Yeah, that's yeah. like my calling. It, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week, um, with the gist of people being important. And things like that's not necessarily the topic of last week, but that's kind of the gist of what we talked about um, in some segments. And there's a magic to being around a room full of strangers and having everyone has something to say. And you might not can go up to a stranger and talk about politics. Some people do, and they're weird, and it's like, don't do that. But you can get on stage and you can sing about I it. I say that can... for the family gatherings. That's right. You're right. That Thanksgiving, cause a ruckus. Yeah. Roll tight. <laughs> but, you know, there's and a Uncle beauty. Uncle Jimmy's got the chair. That's right. There's a beauty to playing out with strangers and um, being able to connect with people you've never had a conversation with and have the proverbial conversation, whether you're playing guitar, whether you're singing, whether you're playing drums. Uh, Braden made a statement the other day because I've told him in the past that when I play out, I love just to make people smile. Like I love being goofy. Like that's part of my stage persona, I guess you could say, is just have fun and let other people have fun. And he goes, "Man, you had all." I played a show this weekend. He goes, "Man, you had everybody smiling on that front row." Yeah, he, he walked. That was on something stage. else. He walked on stage and jumped like a cheerleader. I mean, <laughs> like it's just stage, people it's funny. like to be comfortable, and it's really yeah. hard to be comfortable around people you don't know. And I think like that's a great icebreaker. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes if you don't do something like that, or even if you open up with some kind of a monologue, or maybe you just get up there and start playing, it's that's the ice still ain't broke. Yeah, you know, and, there's still and, something between you. Well, if you just you go out there and you just be you, and I am that kind of guy who like I think it, you know if I'm excited I'll jump like a cheerleader. It's a fun time. Yeah, you know, and if you get out there and you just be honest and you be open with strangers, that they are more likely to be open and honest with you, which leads to Great conversation, like mm-hmm. we had last time I was on. Absolutely, yeah. dude. I mean, it's just opening up those receptors, you know. And when people go to live shows, a lot of times, especially like when they go to bars and live shows, they they come to their there to feel something, yeah. whether it be being drunk or whether it be going to feel the music, you know. And when you put a smile on their faces, it it kind of it kind of creates that 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 uh, Give and happiness, take. and then they want to come talk to you, and boom, share the gospel right there. And uh, it's good to. Uh, I love watching you perform, dude. It's so fun. <laughs> oh, thank you, man. I mean, it's all about loving people well, no matter what we do. Like, your whole life goal should be loving people the way that not only we think they should be loved, because, you know, we might misinterpret that, but the way that people need to be loved. And and that's something that live music does really easily. And going back to the landing the plane, whenever we're talking about producing and making music, that's something that I try to do, just like Braden does, is I try to make my mix sound like you're in the room, you're listening to the band play. Mm-hmm. And whenever you can put yourself in not only the lyrics, but also in the room, you can visualize yourself in the space where the music is happening. I think it helps break down the walls that might come with 
oh, that's too perfect for me, or that's too pretty of a recording for me to relate to. And some people are really into that. Some people are into the being the pristine, making a perfect record without flaws, but I think that people can relate more to something that's real sounding. Yeah, I mean, that's the... Uh, and sometimes artists ruin it for artists because they're purist. Oh, yeah. And so when you go to a sound, let's just say you're playing chords. Uh, well, maybe it's just cowboy chords. Maybe you're not using bars or... Uh, to go back to Abbey Road just for a second, uh, when I think about the Beatles, Paul McCartney was the pop guy and John Lennon was the cool guy. Yeah. And so, like, if you think... Uh, melody, well, Paul McCartney would write a melodic melody. If it was John Lennon, everything was doom, doom, doom. It was the same. Mm-hmm. It didn't go anywhere. But it didn't matter. And like I think that was like a perfect combination. And I know like John probably drove Paul crazy. Right. Because Paul was trained. John wasn't. He just he knew how music felt to him, and that's mm-hmm. what he was conveying while... Paul knew all the ins and outs. Like he played bass for him. He didn't need them. Right. You know? But Well, I mean, when Paul went on to make the wings, like I think that was the neat, pretty, perfect band yeah. that he was wanting he, with the Beatles the whole time. Mm-hmm. And the Beatles just never was that for him. Right. But do people remember the wings more? Or do they remember the Beatles more? They remember the Beatles. <laughs> and so, not that there's anything wrong with the wings. Oh, no. no. But... When people think of what is music that I can relate to, a lot of people go back to the Beatles, whether you're a rap artist or you're a country artist or you make rock music, which is most people who listen to the Beatles. Everyone somehow can relate back and say, oh, that insert Beatles song is something that inspired me to make my insert my own song. Yeah, I mean, like, and even when it comes to award ceremonies and like typically whatever's getting an award like the Grammys were last night I didn't even watch it I don't care <laughs> but uh, when I think about those award shows and you know it's the it's the chatter that you hear around the office the next day at work is dude I didn't even know some of those people existed well that's the heart of pop culture how do you not know that and I was like well I don't listen to the radio and I've I got my own bands and songwriters I like listening to and it's right. like I mean all that's good and fair but it's just not where I'm at, you know? Well, that's like, so talking about making and producing and producing songs that sound like they're real to you, like they're in the room. I think the best example of that to come out in the past, oh gosh, I'm old. I guess 15 years now, I would say 10, but man, I, I missed that mark. <laughs> Wasting Light by the Foo Fighters. I don't know if y'all are into them. Oh, yeah. But they recorded it in Dave Grohl's house on a tape recorder. And if you listen, there's flubs in there. There's guitars that are just a little too loud in places, drums that are just a second too slow. But man, if there was ever a record that come out when I was younger, man, that's crazy to say I was younger when that record came out. But a record that come out like that was relatively new from a band who's supposed to be on the, like their radio band, like even though they're Foo Fighters. Yeah. But it's just so real that if I'm going to a harder record, like, I'm in the mood driving down the road and I want to listen to something with heavy guitars in it. I'm probably going to put Wasting Light on because it sounds like I'm in there with them and the vocals aren't perfect. I can relate to that. The guitars aren't perfect. I definitely can relate to that. And mm-hmm. there's a beauty to producing in a way that people understand. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Foo Fighters, uh, my hero, 
you know the big drum intro the boot boot tell you you know that was recorded twice like one in a studio and they overdubbed it in a in like a garage place and they like had mics spread out for a natural reverb it was basically mic the same in the studio but they just had like room mics and everything and that created mm-hmm. so much atmosphere that's what i because you know that's why it sounded so live yeah very iconic intro too mm-hmm. i mean right when yeah. those drums kick up you know what it and is and you can't even tell you recorded it twice i mean there's a little bit of like flubs like you know like mm-hmm. sounds like a flam or something but at the same time it just created so much atmosphere that that the that intro of the song like you said is iconic like mm-hmm. known to this day and well, i mean this is now a foo fighters podcast yes is it? <laughs> but I guess. I mean, like, think about, like, uh, Taylor Hawkins wasn't the first drummer for Foo Fighters. Oh, no. So for the first record, I think they were, like, maybe a quarter to halfway done. And that drummer just was not fitting with Dave Grohl. And by the way, Dave Grohl's a drummer. He drummed for Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was on their, um, that was on the second one. That and, was like, on, the, the dude called, and, and uh, yeah. And Everlong. Yeah, and dude called uh, Dave to talk about the recording. He said, don't worry about it. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> well, in that first Foo Fighters record, like the very first one, the one with the ray gun on the front, is all Dave. Yeah. And it's like, you listen to it, and he sat down after Kurt died, and he's like, well, I got all these songs, I'm just going to sit down and record them all, I don't care how it sounds, I'm going to give it to my friends. And it just so happened to go to his producer, or not his producer, his manager, and like he's like, Dave, you got to put this stuff out. You got to name it something, and you got to put it out because people are going to relate to this the same way they did Nirvana. And I would say, good manager, because <laughs> yeah. Foo Fighters is the biggest rock band in the world, almost. Yeah, definitely. And like one of my favorite on MTV Unplugged is probably between like the Alice in Chains or Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, Nirvana they brought out the Meat Puppets and then next thing you know they had the cello and it was all the things that MTV didn't want them to do mm-hmm. and I think that may have been the direction that Nirvana was going they were going to kind of move on from that grind scene to a more whatever Kurt had in his mind and and that's the thing that is so genius about you know guys like Dave or Kurt or even John Foreman if you listen to his stuff yeah, is they know like we've been talking about this whole time that people have are are done with the fake stuff. They're done with hearing what everyone else has got. And they just are going to put out what people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And there's a beauty to trying to say I'm done wearing a mask when it comes to my music. And as producers, that's like our job is to say, all right, so here's this song, how are we going to lay it out in a way that it fits our audience? And I don't know about y'all, but the audience that I really strive for when I produce something is the people who's tired of the fake, too. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I really appreciate those guys for doing what they do. And then, like, they get on TV and they do the same thing like they would in the studio. And people are like, what are you doing? These guys are crazy. But, of course, Kirk was crazy. Mm -hmm. That's what made him beautiful. Yeah. Are any of your favorite creative, whether it be an artist, musician, or whoever, Mm -hmm. they were all get-out-of-centric. Oh yeah, that's why the dude's weird. <laughs> he slept in a coffin. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Y'all want to move on from producing? Uh, you had some homework assignments, man. Did uh, you do them? Not all of them. Oh <laughs> my god! What what'd you I, get? What'd you I get didn't even to? do homework in high school. Okay. <laughs> as as a te- someone who used to teach the public, you get uh, as someone who dropped ready. out of, of college. <laughs> my man. My man. <laughs> System's not I worth throwing shade at myself. <laughs> <laughs> what did, what did you get to? I listened you... to some music. Let me, let me look at the 
Let's, you sent me something. I'll, I'll send you some John Foreman, the man, the myth, the legend. Mm-hmm. Yet again, this is a John Foreman podcast. That's now. right. Yeah, we're, we're moving over. Isn't he so, the one that was on this, that '70s show? What? Oh, that was a joke. Never mind. That's a bad joke. Oh man. Get out of here, kid. Get okay. out. This I'm is leaving. our studio Goodbye. now. <laughs> Taking his name off the board. Oh, I can't My name's read. not even on the board. I was going to say, I can't read, so I didn't know it wasn't or not. And this guy board? was teaching? <laughs> Listen, I taught math. Oh yeah, He wasn't know. certified for that either, yeah. though. These numbers are okay. It's when we get into the X's and O's that get me. That's facts. That's facts. That's why I'm single. <laughs> the X's and O's was getting me. <laughs> Hugs, kisses. All right, Porch Talk. This has been episode two of Isaiah Perkins ruining this podcast. <laughs> take, take, nah, dude, I'm with it, dude. Take 38. Bam. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in there. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> I like it. I can relate. I'm with that. Oh. Okay. What um, you got, bud? Uh, I know it's the one I like because it's the one I say that we are one tonight. Oh, Switchfoot, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, like it's it's John Foreman plus song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you send me limbs, to, limbs and branches. Yeah, that's a good word. So that's the uh, spring, summer, fall, winter combined. Yep. Yeah. And, that's pretty cool. Oh man, some beautiful stuff on there. Southbound Train yeah. is my jam because it does what we talked about last week. It takes a concept and makes me feel like I'm in it. Well, I guess we talked about that this week too. And it, the lyrics of it, the musicianship of it, it makes me feel like exactly how he wants me to feel. Like you're on a train, too, by the way. Like, it's just, the, it's beautiful the way he does it. It's him and a harmonica mm-hmm. and a Gibson J45, <laughs> nerd info. And John just masterclasses it together to make me feel like I'm on this train that's heading home, but I'm not quite sure if home is a place I can still get to by train. Check this song out. Plugs. Plugs. It is a good song. One of my favorites off uh, Limbs and Branches. Of, I like that that rocking number he does, uh, Resurrect Me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Beatles. It sounds just like a Beatles record. I love it. Braden, get your homework done, boy. Uh, okay, okay. It takes a long time <laughs> to kill a man. 55 years at least. <laughs> it's rocking, man. Yeah. You got it. I got some over for y'all. Did you get into any David Crowder? Uh, Did you get there? Yeah, I've always been into it. Yeah. Okay, good. Went, no. Oh, I sloppy guess we didn't kiss. talk about that. Sloppy Way Kiss all the way? No, <laughs> we no. Talk, I'm with the sloppy. That's actually John Mark McMillan, though, so you can't credit that to oh, Crowder. never mind. Never mind. He just sorry, went on Caleb with it. Yeah. How He Loves? John Mark McMillan, man. That was a good song, though. Well, and that's something we didn't talk about. We talked about in the room, but not on the podcast, is David Crowder. You said... I'm going to take your... This is my interview now, Alan. Go for it. What did you say about uh, David Crowder? What's something about him? Uh, well, that he's uh, freakishly tall and he likes foxes. Mm-hmm. Stuff foxes. Uh, no, he's uh, one of one of my all-time favorite singer-songwriters, uh, band leaders. Uh, I had a roommate when I was living down in Mobile. He really drove that nail home for him. Because all I knew at that time was whatever K-Love was bopping, mm-hmm. which right. was uh, how he loves and a little bit off that church music album, but yeah. uh, like he was showing me these YouTube videos of like, so uh, David and the drummer were just like nerd smart, and so the drummer rigs up a guitar hero guitar to where it would actually play yeah. uh, chords like a the green button would be a G chord and then uh, the red button would be a C and so on, mm-hmm. and he would come out on shows and just 
playing that, and they even made like one of the buttons to where it would make them to where you met, to where you messed up. And uh, man, it was, and he had the star power when you picked. <laughs> but I mean, it, it was always a lot of fun, and like those days where they were at Baylor, when they were uh, the BSM there or BSU, whichever it was called, uh, with Baylor, and just going back to see those old. Uh, them leading uh, the worship for uh, that college group, just unreal. And you could definitely see the trajectory that they they were going to be on. One of the biggest Christian bands of uh, my generation. Yeah. And I remember seeing them live one time. The dude had a I don't know if they do this all the time, but had a drum set, but it was like strawn out everywhere. So the snare was over here. Yeah, the yeah, kick yeah. Drum, you like slam it. I was like, I, that was like the most amazing thing to me when I was little. It's like at Winter Jam. So David bands yeah. they have. The drummer, which they just got a new drummer, and dude's awesome. He's played with Usher and um, oh, wow. everything, but um, he's a new guy. But they have another who's a percussionist, and he's got those cymbals that look like they're not actually cymbals, yeah. and he's got shells that he's tied up on Gatorade lids, and dude's awesome. And that's probably what you saw because he's got this whole percussion set that he's just like, I'm gonna add that where I can hit it next night. Yeah, yeah. And, so like you, well, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Um, I remember when I was little. This is bringing back memories of when I was little. But uh, you know, like a lion. I don't know if you wrote that song. You know, uh, he's roaring. Yeah, that one. It was on. Uh, Are you talking about? It was uh, on guys Michael Tate. Dead. No, but Crowder did a version of it live. Oh. Um, it was called. Like, I'm not sure who wrote it. I don't think he wrote it. But I remember when I was little, I used Homework. to I used to listen to that song on repeat. Like in, uh, I remember watching it live at the same Winter Jam, and uh, yeah, that was one of the one of the moments of being a. Uh, Future musician that kind of inspired me, but it flashed into my head who who wrote that song, and now it's gone. Maybe Ain't that how it goes? Maybe it'll come back. But uh, you actually got to spend some time with. It's not David Crowder band anymore. It's Crowder, but you got to spend some time with them. How did that go down? So, this time last year, I managed to Instagram DM my way onto Toby Max Hits Deep Tour, twenty twenty two. And I was a stage tech You're guitar shooting tech. Shooting a shot with Toby Mac. <laughs> Toby's a cool guy. Um, but Michael Cochran and company, I got to do some guitar tech, stage tech stuff with them. And on that tour was Cochran and company, the band Kane. Uh, it's a sibling trio. They're fantastic. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, and David Crowder and, of course, Toby Mac and his guys. But David, the first night we're in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I'm walking out of catering. I'm starstruck because... I'm a little, like, I'm not little, but I'm a guy from Little B, Mississippi, and I had just eaten supper with Toby Mac, and I'm walking out, I'm on my phone texting all my friends like, I just met the guy I saw every year at all the winter jams, and I bump into this man who is freakishly tall, and I'm looking up, and I'm looking up, and I'm looking up, and I'm looking up, and I'm looking, and I see his head, and I see his beard, and it is David Crowder. And he goes, hey, cool dude, man. It's all right. Don't worry about running into me, man. You're a new guy, right? And he just like talking 90 miles an hour, super country. He goes, oh, it's good to have you around, man. I'll see you, man. And he just walks off. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there, starstruck, times two. And I met David Crowder. And his guys are some of the sweetest people. His band, they are all like these super muscular, super gruff. Look like they're in a biker gang and like they'd beat you up. <laughs> but they'll sit there and they are the nicest guys. One of them would make me coffee every night just because he wanted to. Not because I drank a lot of coffee. He's like, hey man, I made you a cup. And he would pop in and just hand me a yeah. cup of coffee every night. 
And one time they were talking about their kids and this one of their guys named Kenny, he's one of their auxiliary players, plays guitar, banjo, mandolin, big biker looking dude. He's sitting there with tears in his eyes talking about how good God's been to his family. And I'm like, I like these guys. Yeah. David Crowder, first night I walked in, he was looking at the Jumbotron and he was watching videos of people mud riding in F 250s. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I fit in here. So David Crowder, he's one of those guys that I, if anyone brings him up, I'm like, oh, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Great I, guy. I can vouch for that. I've, I've uh, met the man. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, uh, like, I never did get to see the David Crowder band live, but I got to, I've got i seen Crowder uh, live a lot. And I remember the first time I saw him live, I was, is that a, a fox? <laughs> I got a stuffed fox on the stage. So they have two of them, one and then the backup. Its name is Kenny Rogers. Perfect. But it is a woman, apparently. It's a girl fox named Kenny Rogers. He's got one and a backup. And if you ever go see David Crowder in any shape, form, or fashion, he's going to have one of the Kenny Rogers up there with him somehow, some way. He will leave his wife before he leaves Kenny Rogers. Because <laughs> Kenny Rogers, the fox, is a fox. It's a vixen. Ooh, fancy words. Yeah, it's a female fox. Break it out here. I do know the English language. <laughs> yes, sir. Roll time. <laughs> Roll time. But, uh, man, like, so how long did it... Would that little tour, like, got five, six cities, or how long would that last? So, it was three months. It was from February to April. That is three months, right? It was from February to April. Yeah. Whatever that number is. And it went from the bottom, or it went from Jonesboro, Arkansas, to SoCal, all the way up to the very tip of Washington, through some mountains and blizzards, back to Nashville, up to the top of the East Coast, Connecticut, um, New York City, Etc. You knocked out quite a bit of sightseeing along the way. So I have never traveled very much besides, like, I think the farthest I'd been before I went on that tour was Branson, Missouri, or St. Louis. And it was my first time ever being on a plane, first time meeting really famous people. And I got to see all of the pretty much the major cities in the U.S. I will say I'll never go back to Portland if I can help it. Unless they pay me to play music there. I got a couple cities I feel that way about. But New York City, I fell in, I get the allure of New York now, which a lot of people, it's a love or hate it thing, but man, it captured me. I want to go back. Um, but yeah, I got to go from one coast uh, down the other. California's a beautiful place, too. Yeah, and it. it's one of those states where, like, if you started on the southern end and worked your way up, like, you literally just go through so many different climates and oh dude it's huge yeah like we forget i think americans forget often how big the united states is and in turn that would make us forget that california is the size of several european countries Mm -hmm. in just its one state form because it covers the entire border of the united states right and it's like you can have a climate at one end and a different climate at the other. It's because you spanned a whole country's worth in one state. But man, yeah. both sides are beautiful. Deserts in the south, and then you got a snow top mountain up north, you know. That's right. It's crazy. Which that was the as much as I loved traveling, as much as I love getting to meet all these cool people like Toby Mac and Crowder, the scariest moment of my life just about was turbulence. <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> So we're coming down a mountain from Washington State down into 
we're going towards maybe Colorado, which is a good little drive. And it's 3 a.m., it's a blizzard, and I'm on the bottom driver's side bunk. And so I'm I'm on the very closest to all the wheels on this 18-wheeler bus, you know? And all of a sudden, I hear the brakes, but we go faster. Oh, boy. And we're sliding down this mountain, and I'm already in this little black coffin, which is my bunk on this bus. <laughs> and I put my headphones in. <laughs> Because I figured if I'm going to die, I'm, at least I'm going to listen to some good music. And um, I don't remember what I was listening to. Probably John Mayer. But, Takes my mom. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, no. There was no service. And that was one of the scarier things. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to die. I was just going to die. But I felt that peace. I know where I was going. But, man, yeah, yeah. I just popped in some John Mayer. But I wish it was just turbulence. But we made it. Our bus driver, uh, his name is Randy. Shout out to Randy. I, if you ever listen to this podcast for whatever reason. He used to drive for Snoop Dogg for 12 years. Oh, wow. Shout out to Randy. Shout out Randy. He was a Canadian paratrooper in Bosnia. Wow. Randy does Randy, Randy. What a life. What a life. Um, the night before, we knew we were going to go through some crap weather. And so we're like, hey, Randy, we're going to pray for you. He goes, oh, I don't need it. And we're like, okay, well, we're going to pray for you regardless. And anyway. that next morning, we get up and we smell cigarette smoke on the bus. And you're not supposed to smoke on the bus. Like, it's kind of a thing. Just because not a lot of people won't breathe that in, confined space. And we get up there and Randy's chain smoking in the front. And he had been parked for about 30 minutes. We're like, you good? He goes, I'm going to bed. So shout out to Randy. He went through the worst night of his Canadian life because he was Canadian. And uh, got us where we need to go. I'm here to make this podcast. Randy, your whole existence was to get me on this podcast twice. Thank you very much. How about that? Shout out again to Randy. Shout out Randy. Oh, man, I remember I've, I've done a lot of, been blessed to have done a lot of mission trips. And uh, I've been to more countries than I have states. Yeah. And so we, we would go to uh, South America, been all over Central America. And I remember every time I would go, my grandmother would freak out. <laughs> like she, I guess she would do some kind of a Google search, and the first top ten articles was just how dangerous the place was or whatever else, right? I remember one time I was going, we were going to San Salvador, El Salvador. And at the time, it was the murder capital of the world. My man. And uh, they flew uh, they flew our band down there to play uh, our home church down in uh, Grand Bay had a daughter church in San Salvador, and they put us they put together a church tour for us and so it was like one of those times where uh, one day I think we played four different churches in a day and so like we just all <laughs> over the city were just just going and playing you know that is a vibe and uh, kudos to you and your hands man. Uh, Funnest thing, I got to translate all our songs to Spanish, and then I got to show it to someone who spoke Spanish, and they was like, I might want to change that. There's a different connotation than what you think, <laughs> specifically when it comes to the word heart and the way you phrased it there. But, um, Man, language is funny. But, yeah, and I remember, like, get on the plane, you go into that country, the whole time I'm in that country, it's kind of like what you were saying about peace. But I never felt, and I mean, sometimes situations do get hairy, and it's not an English-speaking country, so you you really don't understand what's going on. It's a totally different culture. Oh yeah. And um, but not really ever freaking out because I was like, I felt like in that moment in time, I was like, dude, we're right in the heart of God's will. I was like, whatever, whatever's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. But ultimately, it's right. This is what's supposed to go down. It's okay. Well, I mean, people have died for millions of years. You know, it depends how you look at it. Thousands of years. Yeah. We all got to do it. Right. <laughs> so it's it's funny 
how, and I guess this goes back to the core topic of production. Yeah. It's funny how we try and orchestrate and produce our lives in a way that we think we're in control. And yeah, you're in control of some things. Like you're in control of like what kind of shoes you put on. Well, I mean, if you have you know money, enough money to buy several shoes, or you have the means. you're in control of like what you eat for breakfast or don't eat for breakfast. But ultimately, you're in the hand of God's will, and it's just about being in you know in the good of it, being at what you know his being obedient to the desires he has for you, and that doesn't always mean that you're going to be comfortable or safe or anything it often means the opposite of that and like when we have options like that i believe especially as an american i I can speak for that but uh, i couldn't really speak for anybody else but uh the number one thing that we try to do in our lives is we like safety nets and make ourselves and our family and loved ones as safe as possible uh and I, I think if you're going to be in the, the calling or the, the will of God, I think things are often dangerous and a little out of control, out of your control. Oh, dude. It's like, it's just like Braden with the reverb, right? I'm going <laughs> to bring you back in, Braden. Oh, but it's like we can try and have the reverb, our safety blankets, our safety mm-hmm. nets. And just like you were saying, like there's a reason for years the number one American car was the Cadillac mm-hmm. because you had all the safety options and they, you had the comfort options. But the reality of it is we were never called to be either of those things. We were never called to be safe or comfortable. In fact, the one who calls us died doing for us what was very uncomfortable and very not safe. But he comes back, which is the best part of the story. And The W. The, dub, the big dub, baby. <laughs> the big dub. The big W in the sky. But it's like if we were called to safety and security on this side of things, we would live pretty boring lives. That's what I was about to say. Wouldn't that be boring? Like, for instance, I love muscle cars. You don't like being on edge in your coffin in the back of that 18-wheeler bus? I didn't, man. It wasn't comfortable. It was not at all. But The tires were screeching, and I had tire mark skids in my pants. That's fast. <laughs> but it's like, you know, I love muscle cars. I love cars in general. I think motors are cool. But every time you get behind a wheel, you're at the... God's will hoping you make it to anywhere you go because all it takes is one connection not to be right with your brake lines all it takes is one person to swerve a couple inches too far to the left or right all it takes is someone just happening to press the gas a little too hard in the wrong place and you're not here anymore but yet we do it all the time but whenever it comes to doing things such as going and loving people well who are strangers or going to play a church tour in a country you can't speak the language, or even just going and trying to talk to people that you don't think might understand you. We, we take an, our risk evaluation as humans, or, or the idea that we need to survive, we look at that and we're like, oh, I need to use all of that right now. But we forget that when we're in a car, like, yeah, you wear a seatbelt, but it's funny how we put the standard for our risk evaluation. It, it fits what we think our needs are in that moment. In reality, we don't need a lot of the things that we try to be comfortable in. Well, that's right. And uh, most, you know, developing countries that are on the verge of their industrial revolution, and I think why a lot of people don't understand that, like uh, most European countries, the United States, uh, we have this looming, gloomy concern over climate. (laughs) But the countries that put off the most carbon emission are countries that are trying to develop and mm-hmm. they don't give a rip about that why 
they're worried about today. Yeah. What am I going to eat? I don't have time to worry about tomorrow. What am I going? What am I going to eat today? And so, like, we live in this really safe place to where you can go down to the grocery store, you can get whatever you desire. Right. And uh, I mean, for I'd probably say for three quarters of the population of the world, that is not the case. Oh, not at all. Well, it's like even in countries that most would consider evolved or, or civilized. Um, the Soviet Union, for example, which I know we're about 30 years out from that, but how old are you? 32. Right. So, well, that would put you right at the end of the Soviet Union when you were born. Mm-hmm. But 90, baby. <laughs> so, for the longest time, people who lived in what was supposed to be the other superpower besides the United States, they would go into bread lines and they'd have rations for something as simple as grain, water, and fire and making bread. Of course, mm-hmm. there's more steps, but you know. And one of my, I, I like YouTube a lot. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I like YouTube. And, oh, I'm a sucker for those documentaries. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a guy who, he shoots guns and that's kind of his living. And he was a, a U.S. Army sniper. and But he also was in Yugoslavia back in the 80s. And he that's where he got his military career started. He said he remembered when he first moved to the United States when the wall fell. He walked into a Walmart, and he just stopped. And the lady at the door is like, sir, can I help you? And he just stared, and he's like, I, I've never seen shelves like this. And she goes, with holes in them? And he's, no. I fully with stopped. food on them. And that's in our lifetime. But it's funny what we put in perspective is, is essential and, and risk evaluation and safety nets. Yeah, man. Like some of my favorite, and they they would tell you they would they would brief us before we went. It's like we're gonna be working in these uh, villages way outside of Chamaltenango, which is about an hour and a half, two hours out of Guatemala City, which is the capital of Guatemala. And they'd always tell you, "Don't eat the food; you probably get sick." So like we're we're building homes and sharing the gospel with these villagers of, and they're fairly familiar with the gospel as it is. But it, the Jesuits, Catholics, they came down to Central America and they mixed uh, the religion that they had time uh, from the Aztecs, from mm-hmm. worship of the sun and moon and uh, different other spirits or whatever you want to say about that. Uh, and they just traded out the sun for Jesus and then the, the moon for Mary and like however they could interchange those religions to where it turned into some really freaky stuff. But yeah. Uh, and it was just a matter of trying to correct that. And, you know, we're s- sitting down hanging out with these families, and Mama been in the kitchen cooking the whole time. I'm not going to say no to her. No, that's so rude. Yeah, it's rude. I'm, dude, we're about to break some bread. It's like if someone came to your mama's house and she had biscuits made, ready to go. If someone turned out in biscuits, not only is your mom going to be offended, which it doesn't matter what culture you're in, don't offend Mama. Oh, and on top of it, like I don't think what whatever culture you're in, like if someone's willing to break bed, bread with you, especially knowing they don't have a refrigerator, yeah, mm-hmm. that's got to mean a lot. Yeah, if because that's all the sustenance they probably had, and they're sharing it with you. You know, I mean, there's 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 nothing more special uh, about that. I mean, that's that's the heart of the human spirit, man. Well, and there's a reason that in the Bible it points out that before Jesus was to be betrayed, while he is telling his disciples that he's going to be betrayed, he's breaking bread and eating a meal with the people that 
ultimately you're going to one guy is going to just flat out sell them out for a let, pocket change. Let me give you a kiss, bub. Right. And this other guy who's like he's sharing a meal with, he comes and washes his feet, and he's like, I would never deny you. Goes and lies saying he never even knew the guy three times. Three times. And it's like here's that rooster crow, and my heart's broke. There's there's a beautiful, beautiful redemption thing. story at the end of John about that when he uh, brought his ministry back, and it took three times. Mm-hmm. It still does that today, folks. <laughs> but there's a beautiful thing to that even the creator of the universe saw fit to have a meal before people that weren't like him or they thought they were like him or maybe they were like him, mm-hmm. but he saw fit to sit down and have something that every single living organism, whether it is grass or it is cows or it's people has to do, which is consume something, take in nutrients and the creator of the universe saw fit to do that before people that didn't even care if he existed at the end of the day, a la Judas. And it's like, why are we so arrogant to think that we're above doing such a thing? Why are we so arrogant to assume that because we're westernized and we're quote-unquote civilized, that whenever we go and someone works their whole week's worth of wages to give you a piece of bread and some stew, and we're like... Yeah, but I was told not to eat that. Whenever the King of Kings did it, yeah, and he was going to be murdered literally for it. Dude, we were in we were in uh, Chile. We were in. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the capital of Chile, Santiago, and the big briefing there was like, "Don't eat street food." First day in Chile, I hear a little bell ringing down the street, and like. <laughs> I'm up before everybody, and I made coffee. I was sitting down in the kitchen. The kitchen was a little separate, little little brick room. I mean, literally all that was was stuff where you cook. That's all that was in that room. I was in there making coffee, and uh, I heard a bell, and I was sitting there drinking coffee. Like, what in the world is that? I go out there, and it's a little dude selling strawberries, bags of strawberries. I was like, man, I bet everybody would like this. <laughs> So I bought a bag of strawberries, and I was sitting there eating them, and everybody woke up and was stirring, and I'm drinking coffee, eating strawberries. And they was like, where'd you get the strawberries? I was like, y'all hear that bell? (laughs) And they was like, no, you didn't. You're going to be sick. Your first day here, and you're probably going to be down for a week. And I was like, bet I'm fine. And then what I had for lunch, street empanadas, baby. I couldn't turn that down. Dude, I'm in it. And, and, I mean, that is another thing is culture is often based around tradition and food being that we all need it mm-hmm. is a big part of tradition. I, I made the mention of biscuits earlier. Yeah. You're from Alabama. I'm from Mississippi, but man. Biscuits is a big deal. Biscuits is a universal language. In fact, sweet tea is a, it's a Southern tradition thing. Whenever you have friends who aren't from here, what's the first, one of the first things you probably say, oh, we're going to eat Southern food. Try. Sweet tea. And, I mean, you're going to get some biscuits and gravy. Uh, I mean, you're going to get something that's going to pack some pounds on you. Well, and, and what do you do when someone says, I don't like sweet tea? You ain't never had it, fool. Or you ain't had mine. Right. You say, <laughs> you never had it, you don't like it. And then if they go as far as to say, I'm not going to drink your sweet tea. Well, what do a, you feel? I take offense to that. Uh, get your crap. Get out. <laughs> so when you're in Santiago, Chile, and someone says, I made this meal for you. Yeah, we're taking it. Oh, dude, I was the only one. We went down, I think it was about a dozen of us that flew down there. It was a college trip. And uh, 
I had I had hit it off pretty good with like the dudes that were already down there working the scene, and they were telling me about it was going to be the last time that they were going to be able to go uh, to this. It was basically two families that met in one home, and they just had church. And so the first part of it was a meal. Like they had all come together and brought different ingredients to put this meal together. And then in this dining room of this home, I mean, there was probably about 20 of us, and we were sitting there just passing plates back to each other, and everybody got what they wanted. And then after you ate, someone shared a message, and I didn't understand any of it because I didn't speak real good Spanish, but uh, I was touched. Yeah, uh, I was full, too. And, uh, I mean, it was whenever you get a chance to go somewhere, like uh, one of my favorite bands, they tour the U.S. in a hearse, uh, Stiff Tones. And whatever part of the country they're in, they, they try to, you know, try not to do an Airbnb or a hotel. They look for people who will put musicians up. Yeah. But they could also sleep in the hearse. <laughs> but, uh, and I mean, those are the relationships that you build and you form. And, I mean, anytime they're in the Alabama, Mississippi area, they typically stay with me or mm-hmm. in proximity to me. And so, like, I want to be hospitable. And, like, when you think of Alabama, you know, it's like, well, I know I got somewhere I can go. Well, and just like you're talking about when you travel mm-hmm. and being hospitable. And, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about loving people the way they need to be loved. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing we do with our music and Echo, you know, talking about producing and things. And just like that, loving people the way they need to be loved, no matter where you're at. It reminds me of when I was in Arlington, Texas. Uh, They have a mission there, kind of like you might have heard about in a history textbook about where they have clothes, they have food, they have housing payments, they help you pay their doctor's bills, etc., etc. And I went there. Every year, except for one, when I was in college, it was my favorite summer or Christmas time activity was to go help do their Christmas drive, and it's helping sure make sure that the community has toys for their kids because a lot of them are impoverished immigrants, whether illegal or not, doesn't really matter in that yeah. moment. So we're helping get them toys. We're helping make sure they have food on their tables, making sure they're ready for the holidays because Texas is so dry; it's either really cold or really hot. There's nowhere in between. And one day we're out and just sorting through bins and bins of clothes, making sure people can get the appropriate size they need to stay warm. And this lady walks out. She's a little older. She's got bags. And, of course, she looks like she's having trouble. So me and a friend of mine walk over there. And we're, keep in mind, we're about 11 hours away from home. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're like, ma'am, hey, we're working with the mission. I know you just got this food from the mission. Do you mind if we help you take it to your car? You know, loving people the way they need to be loved. So we get up there, we carry her bags, of course, after just telling her, like convincing her we weren't bad people, because, you know, around Dallas, there are people who will do that and run off with your crap. So we get it to her car, and she's driving a Buick, and I'm trying to think of ways, because I like to talk, obviously, of how I can communicate with her in a way that she can relate to. And I was like, oh, my sister drove a Buick just like this when I was in high school. I love these cars. The big old Buickless Saber. Wonderful cars. And she goes, yeah, this one got flooded back in the flood in Austin. I just moved here. I don't know anyone, and that's why I'm at the mission. You could tell she was kind of ashamed that she had to get stuff, like assistance. But, you know, I made her comfortable just by talking about her car, letting her know that I do care about her, loving her the way she needed to be loved. She said, I'm not even from here. I was like, oh, you're from Austin? She goes, no, I'm not even from Austin. I was like, oh, well, where are you from? She goes, well, you wouldn't understand, but I've been so lonely and depressed since the flood took everything and I don't have food, so I'm depressed that I have to rely on someone else. And I just, 
man, I miss home. And we're like, well, where's home? She goes, it's a little place in Mississippi. And of course, me and my friends' eyes lit up. We're like, oh, we're from a little place in Mississippi. Where are you from? She Say goes, Hamilton. Not Hamilton. <laughs> she goes, I'm from a little town called Columbus, Mississippi. Oh, how about that? You probably have never heard of it. And I said, man, would you believe it if I said we're from the W, Mississippi University for Women in Columbus, Mississippi? Tears flood her eyes. She said, <laughs> We them boys. <laughs> she said, You mean to tell me that you weren't just kind to me? Whenever you didn't have to be, you weren't just, you know, you didn't just help me when I needed help, and, but you're an answer to my prayer too. I would never have known that, that she was from Columbus, that she existed had I not been uncomfortable because it's not comfortable to go meet strangers. I mean, for me it is, but some people's not. Yeah. Had I not loved her the way she needed to be loved, she needed help with her groceries. And I'm not pulling my chain here. I'm I'm telling this. She's trying to like, give examples. I'm, yeah, I'm giving an example for the listener to jump in on this because it's a great thing. So there we are. By this point, we all have tears in our eyes because she says, I've been praying and doubting that God was hearing me. But you come 11 hours away from my home to meet me in this place that is now supposed to be my home that doesn't feel like home. And God sent you, you said. And just she almost fell over with tears in her eyes, and of course we got to pray with her and love on her, give her a big hug because she said she hadn't had a hug in a long time. But when you're traveling, when you're out and about, or when you're producing music, or when you're listening to music, or whenever you're you know doing anything, make sure you love people the way they need to be loved, even if it's outside of your security blanket. Because man, what else are we here for? Other than to share proverbial bread with people who might not be like us. Yeah, dude, I love it. Like with the music fest, this is the first time at a, as a porch fest is not going to be thrown like at my house. And that is my favorite part of it. Like the first year, uh, we did a crawfish bowl. Like I spent like three, four hundred dollars on food. And I loved every bit of it because like everybody who came got to get them some food. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about like, here, I'm feeding you. But I mean, yeah. a little bit of, le- yeah. I mean, because. You know, it's crawfish bowl. You lay the tables out, and, I mean, you're all getting messy over the same table, and you're, you're breaking ba- bread, man, and you're building relationships. That's where it starts. And uh, from then, you know, I would call uh, people that I knew that had food trucks and be like, dude, come down here and cook for us. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'm hoping that's what we're going to have happen here in Columbus. Come get you a bite to eat, hear some good music, and uh, when it's over, uh, we'll shake hands or hug, and uh, we'll see you next year. Yeah. So, uh, Braden, you got some traveling coming up. Gatlinburg, New yeah, York. What, yeah. what, do you, what do you got going on? What is this? Uh, Gatlinburg. So I work with Mississippi Mason as a drummer, and uh, we're going to go try out for, I think it's the Red Barn or something. I forgot what it's called. But <laughs> I, I honestly forgot what it's called. But uh, It ain't the place where they're uh, slinging them apple pies, is it? I have no idea, to be honest. If they're slinging apple pies, I might learn how to play some drums. <laughs> it's like, y'all need an auxiliary player? <laughs> <laughs> I am Braden. <laughs> no, but we have, a, we have another gig like in Gatlinburg that night because we're not getting paid to try out, so we have to find another gig. But yeah. um, Got to pay your way home, man. Yeah, yeah, and then... Hopefully we stop by like Spooky Mountain Knife Works or something, or like a cool guitar store. Well, sure but, uh, you especially, will. I'm basically going on to Gatlinburg and get paid. Hopefully, <laughs> so. And then what about the New York trip? Oh, that's, a, that's going to be a mission trip for uh, the BSU, kind of like what they did with Mission Arlington. Um, same thing with New York, and they told me I'm going to have a lot of free time, so I have some goals to. I know he told me uh, Isaiah told me it's going to be hard to promote music there, but uh, I'm trying to find some people to meet, maybe like to email. I got a couple of people to email. 
from uh, Atlantic Records, so I'm going to try to like email, which my I never, old, may uh, never get an answer. But My old roommate, uh, when I was going to college down in Mobile, we he same high school as me, and we grew up in a small town of Kennedy together. Uh, he went on a mission trip to New York when he was a student at South, and uh, that's how he met his wife. Oh, wow. So, Brayden. I wish. <laughs> so, uh, how about that? Me, guys. Keep your mouths open, boss. <laughs> yeah, they you, never you never yeah. know. Or you might be, yeah. you may know the main focus, the main focus of the New York trip is, of course, like yeah. the mission trip, but that, like <laughs> they sure. said, like that's the main focus, but uh, like they said, they're going to have, we're going to have a lot of free time, so I'm going to try to like network if I can, um, get to know some people and, uh, you know. That's 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 it, man. Like obviously, like when you're there, you want to be focused on what you're there to do. But yeah, don't forget yeah. about the people that you traveled there with, and also mm-hmm. the people that you have potential of connecting yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And or else, it's just gonna feel like work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a that's the main way to avoid feeling like you're just working. It's yeah. Just to love people. Cut up yeah. and have fun. Yeah, it's just like everyday life. Like same thing with the mission trip. You may be doing like different stuff on the mission trip, but. You should really treat it like everyday life, how, you, how you're loving on people and how you're, uh, you know, just, like you said, breaking bread with people. It's the same thing. Be your first time in the Big Apple? Yeah, yeah. It was my, well, no, I was in, no, I was in Washington, actually. That's not the Big Apple. apple. Um, <laughs> I went to Washington. Some kind of it's, apple. It's, 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 it's a bitten it's apple. Uh, it's a poisoned apple. <laughs> no hate to Washington State. <laughs> no, it's not state, not the state. Oh, D.C.? Yeah, D.C. Our nation's Oh, never mind. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, no, that's poison. That's where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, can't. I don't but apologize for that. Yeah, but that's apologize. the only big city I've been in, other than Gatlinburg. I wouldn't call that a big city, but uh, yeah, it's my first time in New York, so it's, I'm gonna, probably going to get a culture shock, like Isaiah told me. So, Braden was I'm telling me to, to highlight. I don't want to sound like a terrible dude. <laughs> no, he's not. Braden was telling me about his trip, and he's like, "I'm going to go, and I'm going to go ask if I can meet with the desk person at Atlantic." I'm like, "Have you ever been to New York?" He goes, "No." no. I'm like. That ain't how it works. That's yeah, not how not, that works, buddy. Yeah. I'm sorry. And, like, nothing against Brayton. No, I'm like, like, I appreciate I don't you for telling you. me the truth, man. Yeah. Go ahead and it's shoot, not shoot like your shot with an email or whatever else, it's right? It's not, not like you got to set up a reservation yeah. on that. there's, what, 7 million people in that city? Like, or more. It's huge. You say 7 billion? Million. I was about to say, that's like the whole earth. It's you got the whole earth right there. Though. New York is it is <laughs> something every kind of culture. It's easy to fall in love with because it's so different than yeah. just about anything you can else. Go, you told me like you can go like every year to a different place and eat. Isn't that what you said? You can go every night to a different restaurant and eat and never hit the same restaurant twice yeah. for the, your whole life crazy. in New York. I really hope there's a lot of guitar stores there because that's, that's going to be. So you're going to see a lot of time. everything there, there's, dude. You got to be careful out there, bud. Yeah. But yeah, no, no. Rudy's music. It's where Rudy's Sir music. guitars, you know, the super strats and things they started in rudy's music hmm. shop over in outside little italy go check it out they got some cool stuff okay okay but keep in mind new yorkers are not the south they're yeah. nice but they're nice in a different way they're not nice in a oh you bumped into me let me shake hands and meet your cousins and like get you know your whole family they're nice in a they're, they're kind people but man is not here they, they <laughs> yeah. talk they talk tough it's tough yeah the first time I went to a pizza shop when I was uh, we were playing at the Give garden. Give me the best Italian restaurant. It's the pizza. Sabaro. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this is cultured. We're the club of small. That's facts, man. First time I went into it was New York Pizza Suprema across from Madison Square Garden, and I was doing what I would do any other restaurant, just looking at the menu, waiting. And the guy said, "If you don't know what you effing want, get off the effing line." If you're from New York, excuse my like. 
terrible Italian New York accent. But I, I fell for it. Uh, right. I, I thought I was in New York. <laughs> hey, my boy, uh, Watto, right now. Star Wars. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> all right, now it's a nerd podcast. <laughs> now it's a nerd podcast. But anyway, so I'm sitting there in line and I'm like just looking at the menu because it's a bunch of options and yeah. it's. And he says that, and at first I'm like, in my southern mind, I'm like, oh, that was rude. And I was like, oh, he wasn't being rude. That's just the way, one, he talks, and two, I was in his line. Yeah. yeah. So, New York is a different place, man. The suit Nazi from uh, Seinfeld, no soup for you. No soup. (laughs) (laughs) This has went down the nerd line so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Man, yeah, you'll have a ball. And, uh. I know I won't sleep the whole time. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I'm not usually on mission trips. I never sleep. So. <laughs> oh, dude, if you have trouble sleeping, the Big Apple is not the place to yeah. remediate that. Yep, yeah, that place never sleeps. Not at all. Yeah. It's always moving. Boys, anything else to uh, do uh, before we begin walking this out the door? Mm-hmm. I like the rocking chairs on your porch today. Yes, this has been yeah. great. If I was to rock too far back, I'd be. <laughs> I could potentially break four guitars. Yeah, yeah. That's but bad, but not like, my J45, which is coming soon. Yeah, it's on the other side of the room. <laughs> oh, that's a, a good plug right there. A good that's plug. a good plug. Man, I got to say, like, before we get out of here, I got a couple things to remark on, but a uh, huge fan of that guitar. Uh, Thank you. But, I wish they could You know, see it. I like J45s a whole lot better than I do like hummingbirds, to be honest with you. That's the thing is when it comes to, can we get, is this now a guitar podcast? Yes. Sweet. Perfect. So when it comes to acoustic guitars, I am a slope shoulder dreadnought guy. People love their Taylors. People love their square shoulder Martins. Cool. But for me, give me a slope shoulder Gibson any day of the week. Their hummingbird, their take on the square, uh, the square body dreadnought, not my bag. Yeah. They're pretty. I love looking at them. But there is nothing like strumming on a J45. Yeah, and that one is mighty fine. I mean, you've had the fretwork done, and it looks cool too, like vintage. Like, it, well, it's it's a, is vintage. It is. Like, <laughs> so it's like the song <laughs> said, "This is my 1953." I know you can't see it, but they can look at it and they can, you know, mentally give you what I'm, they're looking at. All right, I want you to close your eyes, unless you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're driving. It's my 1953 Gibson J45. Just like the song said, my great aunt bought it brand new from Fun Fact, the first store I ever worked at as a kid. And my grandpa bought it from her for $65, which wasn't cheap in 1961 when he bought it from her. But Yeah. Add two zeros to that now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very expensive guitar, I guess you could say, but it is my baby. Most guitars, I'm, I'm, I kind of look at guitars like tools. They're all hammers and they do different things, but this one is the only one that I'm like, don't touch my guitar. Unless I'm watching you like a Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just something about the way that the nitrocellulose has faded from black to this beautiful red in the corners, and it's all the finish is all cracked and checked, and it just it's got a story to tell, just like a good song, like the J forty five. I mean, it, it, it turned out it turned out to uh, to be a song, and it just so happens to be played on that song. It's full circle. But uh, man, once again, another great song, man. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're a good storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do a good job with your lyrics. And the guitar work is interesting, so you don't get bored with that as well, you know. Thank you. Uh, open mic. 
Thursday, February 16th. Not this one, but the next one. Uh, we got uh, a lot of cool new friends coming out. So if you're in the Columbus, Mississippi area, I hope that you will come out for that. Uh, Braden won't be with us because he'll be in Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg. But uh, Isaiah and friends will be out there. Oh, man. In the words of Alan, it's a ball and a biscuit. Hey, there we go. It's a ball and a biscuit. It is. It was a great time. You have everyone from John Prine covers to originals to... Somebody's cranked up Princeton Amp. Oh, it was a nice. Fender Twin. Oh, it no, was a okay. 64 Twin. With some JBLs in it, yeah. too. It was that 85 tube watts of busting my ears. Yeah, shaking but my leg hair. It was a cool sound to now. I had yeah, to, uh, yeah, I did have to get out from in front of it because it was. God, oh, yeah, dude, I, made, I, I had my Strat in the car, and every part of me wanted to go grab it yeah, and beg yeah. that man to let me play. <laughs> he probably nice would have. He's a really nice. He's man. a cool dude. Yeah, Toby, yeah. shout out, baby. Uh, also, April fourteenth and fifteenth is Porch Fest at Munson and Brothers. Yeah. Exactly where we do the open mics. Munson and Brothers, come out sometime. Come have a pizza. Uh, well, there's our beer out there, but if that ain't your thing, you can get you a Coca-Cola or water. So uh, come join us. Uh, anything y'all want to plug uh, uh, before we go? I got one. Uh, I have a EP coming out on Valentine's Day. Uh, Good timing. Yeah, it's called Broken Hearted. <laughs> uh, it's the opposite of what, you know, it's for the people that are single or just got out of a relationship My man. for Valentine's Day, which is me. Not the relationship part, but single. But Braden said, I'm single right <laughs> Anyways. I didn't have a groundhog or groundhog day. <laughs> and I don't have a Valentine on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Hopefully I can have me a fool for April Fool's yeah. Day. But it's got three songs on it. Uh, they're all. Um, we could have wrote a song. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, three songs. All of them are going to be acoustic. One of them, Ethan Oswalt helped me wrote, uh, write. And um, one of them's Waves, then it's Running Out. And then it's called, uh, the other one's called Broken Hearted, which is the name of the EP. So I'm excited for it to come out. Great, man. So Valentine's Day, be on the lookout for that. So that'll be next week. Next Tuesday. Is it? Yeah. I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, next Tuesday. Oh, dude, I got I a short time to day. find me a wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Anybody there? <laughs> I got eight days. Eight days. <laughs> eight days. Man. All right, uh, Isaiah, anything? Um, just be on the lookout for, you know, go listen to my song, Samantha, from last week. Mm-hmm. I plan on having my J45 out probably by summertime. I'm one of those people who struggle with being a perfectionist sometimes. Last week when we did Samantha, I took like three takes. So when I'm recording something, just know it's substantially more. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Next time Isaiah comes on, uh, like if he messes up, that's that's just it. Like even if he plays one verse and didn't like it, that's just gonna be what it is. That's gonna be it. Out. <laughs> just do the I'll just do the same verses three times. All you hear is crap, and then then fade yeah, out. Yeah, and then the podcast starts. Crap if it's a good day for me, right? Frustration with Isaiah Perkins. That, let's not let's not record that. My grandma might not be happy in that one. <laughs> he put his guitar right down and he got up and walked around. Now he's a changed man. All right. Listen, sometimes it's like, okay, real quick. If I'm going to plug something, this will be my final plug. If you're doing something and you keep trying and trying and trying and it's not working out for you, it doesn't always mean that it's the wrong thing to do. Sometimes you're just coming at it from the wrong approach. Sometimes it's a good idea to stop, take a break, reset your mind, get in the right headspace. And try it again. Or as I like to do, go put a hole in a wall somewhere. <laughs> That's the widest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and then, cover it up, go get you a Nickelback poster. Oh, gosh. <laughs>
Maybe we'll Look at this graph! <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah, all that's a joke. Don't go punch a drywalls. No. I do that all night. Not day. unless you're trying to make a business out of it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's a good Now place. I get to fix this the wall. The arena. Braden said the arena wall. <laughs> he's, starting, he's, he's starting his third business. <laughs> that's right, man. wall repair. I do drywall now. <laughs> Roll time, am I right, boys? Yeah, Roll time, man. We're out of here. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.